Well, it's good to be back with you. If you're first time here today, uh, you may not know this, or uh, you may not know if you've been here for lots of weeks, but we're in the middle of studying the Gospel of Luke. Um, We started this just after Christmas. Uh, Actually, what we're doing is we're reading through the Gospel lessons of the lectionary. Uh, The lectionary is a three-year cycle of Scripture readings that if you were to read uh, all of the lection readings every single Sunday over a three-year period, you would eventually cover most of the themes and the Scriptures in our sacred text, the Bible. And we are in cycle three, year C of the, of the lectionary, and it features prominently the Gospel of Luke. And uh, this lectionary cycle is actually built around the Christian calendar. You may not know this, but we actually have a calendar, a Christian calendar, uh, that the church lives through each and every year. It begins the first Sunday of Advent, so it begins before our calendar year uh, that we are accustomed to, and it uh, lasts all year long. We are now in the season after Epiphany. And uh, Epiphany, for those of you who, who may not remember what that means in a Christian sense, it's the manifestation of Christ's ministry to those outside of the Jewish faith. Uh, it uh, usually starts when the wise, the Magi, come to visit Jesus, the Christ. And uh, it's evidence that Jesus' life and ministry was so compelling that people beyond the Jewish faith were interested and compelled to find out who this man, who this person Jesus was and, and what he came to do in our world. And so we're in the season after Epiphany right now as we're looking in the Christian year. And the lectionary gospel reading for this time is Luke. Now you remember last week when we left, we had encountered Jesus as 12 years old and he was in the temple. You remember his family, they'd all gone to Jerusalem. It was customary that if you uh, were 15 years or older, that you were supposed to go every year to Jerusalem for, among other things, the Passover. And so Jesus and his family were there, uh, even though they didn't necessarily have to be there. They were 64 miles away from Jerusalem, but they were devout people of faith and they were there Mary and Joseph, after the Passover celebration, prepare to leave and start making their journey home. Each of them thought that Jesus was with the other or with family and friends. They travel an entire day journey before they realize that Jesus is not there. And they go back, and where do they find Jesus? They find Him in the temple courts. And so last week, we encountered a 12-year-old Jesus who was in the temple courts asking questions and having conversation with the religious leaders. In today's scripture, we've moved forward a little bit. We skipped Jesus' baptism that's recorded in Luke's gospel because we did that the first Sunday of January. And so we skipped the temptation of Jesus, even though it was tempting not to skip it and to preach about it, trying to get on the the lectionary cycle here today. And for all of you who love Ancestry.com, we skipped the genealogy of Jesus. So um, we skipped... And so the last time we see Jesus in the temple as a child at 12 years old, today we encounter Jesus in the synagogue as an adult, which 
you may be wondering, what's the difference between a, the synagogue and the temple? And so I thought it might be helpful to spend a few minutes thinking about that. The temple, there was only one temple. And it was the central place of the worship for the people of Jewish faith. And it was in the holy city of Jerusalem. So this would have been their holiest place in their holiest city. And like we talked about a few minutes ago, if you were 15 or older, you were, uh, you were required at least once in your lifetime to, to, to go uh, to uh, the temple. And, and so um, it was a very, very holy place. And, and Jesus, as you recall, was outside the temple and the temple courts engaged in conversation with the Sanhedrin last week. But the primary purpose of the temple was a place for sacrifice where you would go and you would take or buy an animal and it would be offered by the priests as a sacrifice to God. And it might be a sacrifice for, uh, made for your sins to be atoned or forgiven of your sins. Or it may have been just so that when that animal burned on the altar, that pleasing, delicious smell of food was wafting its way up to the God who created it. And so you are required to do this in the temple. Uh, and that was primary a place of sacrifice. Um, the synagogue, on the other hand, could be anywhere. Anywhere where there were ten Jewish families or more, uh, you would find a synagogue. It didn't have to be in the holy city of Jerusalem. It, it just was wherever there were families, Jewish families living and, and doing life together. And, and so since it didn't have to be in the religious, the holy city of Jerusalem, it could be anywhere. There were lots of them all over the place. And you didn't do sacrifices in the synagogue. That was reserved for when you went to the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, so these synagogues, there were three things that typically took place as the people of God gathered together to worship. There would be a scripture reading, there would be prayers, and, and there would be teaching. But the synagogue uh, was not just for religious worship and instruction. This synagogue was also a place for community uh, life. People would gather together for community events in the temple. Uh, it was also a place where they would go to school. And so the synagogue was used as a place where people would actually uh, go to school. And the synagogue was also a place where justice was administered. And so when you had an issue to be decided, oftentimes it would be decided in the temple and an attempt would be made to uh, administer justice in each of those situations. And so you may see a lot of similarities in the way we do church. Uh, St. Mark's prides itself on being a church that's open and available for the community to use. It's a place where we have a preschool because we, we believe in the instruction of children uh, throughout the course of the week. And it's a place where I would hope could be said of us that we are always seeking to be on the side of justice and that we are seeking to do the right things, the thing that God would call each of us to do. So I hope that you see some of those similarities there. And in the Scripture lesson today, we might assume that when Jesus goes into the synagogue and He takes the scroll and He begins to read it, that this is His first sermon as an adult. But if you look closely at the text, it's not His first sermon 
In verses 14 and 15, we're told that he's already been preaching and teaching in synagogues throughout the region, and he's got quite a following. Everybody's impressed and amazed by him, and they're really uh, anxious to hear more about him. I mean, he's really, really doing some good stuff. But now he's in his hometown church. He's come back home. And he opens up the scroll and he stands before the people, many of whom he probably knew, and they knew him quite well. And he unrolled the scroll of Isaiah and he began to read. Now what I find interesting that Jesus does here is that when he unrolls that scroll to read, he actually chooses two different portions of what we would call the book of Isaiah. He doesn't just pick a place and then read to the end of it and stop. He actually weaves together or merges two different texts from what we would call the book of Isaiah. And so if you were interested in seeing what he does, it's Isaiah 58 and Isaiah 61. And so Jesus stands up and he decides that I'm going to weave those two texts together as I share it. And so the first text, you know, you, can you argue with Jesus? If Jesus decided to use this text on this day, it had to be the right text, right? I mean, I mean, we shouldn't be trying to argue that. So Jesus stands up to read this text from Isaiah, and the first thing that he says is, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now that's a great text to choose if you want to communicate that what Isaiah said so long ago is actually true of me today. That the Spirit of the Lord is upon me being Jesus. And so if you're the, in the audience listening, you're kind of curious because you have been so long where you felt like that the Spirit of God is upon you perhaps. You, you're looking for some evidence somewhere that the Spirit of God is upon someone or something. And so as you're listening to that, you might be thinking, I really want, if you're in Jesus' audience, I really hope that what was true of God as spoken and written by Isaiah is also true of this person who's now standing before us and reading the sacred text. Their faith might have been flickering. They're under Roman occupation. It is really, really tough for them right now. And they're hoping for some evidence that God is hearing their prayers and that the Spirit of God is at work. And so then Jesus continues reading from Isaiah. And He says that You anointed Me to bring good news to the poor. Now you got to think that many in Jesus' audience that day knew what it was like to be poor. They knew what it was like to struggle to make ends meet. They knew what it was like to not know perhaps where uh, uh, how they were going to pay their uh, bills or uh, their debts to other people in the community. Uh, they would have known what it's like to struggle. If you remember, even Jesus' family knew what it was like to be poor. Several weeks ago, we studied when Jesus was brought to the temple by His mother and father. And we talked about how that the firstborn male child had to be given to God. But you could buy that child back from God if you gave an offering. 
And, and what we knew and what we know about Jesus' family is they gave what was known as the poor person's offering in order to buy back Jesus from God. They gave two doves or two pigeons. And so we can, we can dis- conclude that Jesus' family knew what it was like to struggle to make ends meet. Jesus knew and His family knew what it was like to live a life of poverty. And they would know that poverty just doesn't, doesn't just affect your pocketbook, but it affects your spirit. It affects your heart. When you can't make ends meet, it's not just a physical stuff that it touches and impacts. It affects us emotionally and even spiritually as well. So Jesus' audience when he's talking about bringing good news to the poor, they would have desperately wanted to believe that this good news that that Jesus is talking about, God saying through Isaiah, might also be true of this Jesus standing before in their midst. And then Jesus continues to read from Isaiah, and he says, He sent me to proclaim release for the captives. Now, there are lots of things that might have been holding Jesus' audience captive that day. Maybe they were seeking to be released from their Roman rule. The Roman government was overruling uh, them all the time. Maybe that's what they wanted to be released from. Maybe they wanted to be released from the power of sin in their lives. Maybe they wanted to be released from the drudgery of life. There's so many things that the audience listening to Jesus that day may have been wanting release from, liberation from. Now, Isaiah was probably talking about relief from exile, but, but no doubt these people and all of us upon hearing these words might immediately begin to think of the things that, that are holding us captive, things that we'd like to be liberated and released from. And then Jesus continues reading from Isaiah. And He says that He came to bring recovery of sight to the blind. Now, um, one of the things that our worst enemy sometimes can be our bodies, can it? You know, as we get older and and we find pains and aches that we didn't know we have before, or, or maybe we were born or have developed something that in some way may try to limit what we're able to do. Uh, in our world today. I mean, I know this firsthand. I spent uh, the last two or three days in Washington, D.C. visiting a good friend. I'm single-handedly responsible for ending the government shutdown. So um, I'm doing my part to make America great again. I, 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 was, I was there, and so I was walking around to all of these monuments that I couldn't go in because they were closed. And all I had to show for it the next day was just aches and pains that I didn't know. Sometimes, sometimes the body fails us. Sometimes the body limits us. And, and, and so the people that, that were hearing that, that, that day, they may not have been blind, but, but they might have known something about being limited in some way by the body. They, they might have known something about being pained or injured. And so they would desperately want to believe that what this uh, Jesus was reading about God speaking through Isaiah, that God might also be seeking to speak that same word through Jesus. 
And then Jesus continues to read. And he says, from the, uh, quoting Isaiah, I have come to free, uh, set the oppressed free. To set the oppressed free. Let me tell you, if you've ever been poor and in poverty, if you've ever struggled to know what it's like to make ends meet, then you know something that, that oftentimes that, that poverty is unfair and it's unjust. It's not something that you did or didn't do. It's your circumstance of life. It's, it's something bad that happened to you when you could have at least expected it. And, and so uh, when Jesus was talking about setting the oppressed free, those who were in poverty would have known something about that unjust oppression maybe that they were experiencing. Maybe it's because they were being taxed too much by the Roman government, but they would have known. And if your body's ever failed you, if you've ever had a pain or an injury or, or a limitation by your body, then people might have judged you because of that and they might have said hurtful things to you because of that. Or they might have, have assumed that you couldn't do things or that you wouldn't do things and they made unfair uh, conclusions about you because of those things and, and you would have known what it's like to be uh, oppressed and you would have longed for to be set free from your oppression. And if you've ever been captive to anything, whether it be uh, uh, someone or something that's holding you back, that's keeping you back, that's destructive and hurtful in your life, then, then, and, and it's not anything that you can do or change on your own, that's unfair and unjust, and you would know what it's like to be oppressed. And you would have longed to be set free. And then Isaiah, uh, Jesus continues the words of Isaiah, I came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now that may not be a phrase that's familiar to you, but, but it's believed that that phrase is referring to the biblical concept of jubilee. Jubilee. It's in the Old Testament. It's in Leviticus. And the thought was is that every 50 years, every prisoner, every captive on the earth was set free. Every 50 years. Regardless of what you'd done, at the end of 50 years, all of the prisoners and captives were set free. Every debt that you had was forgiven every 50 years. So you charged up a big charge of on your credit card, 50 years is coming up. Guess what? They wiped the slate clean after 50 years. Everything was wiped free. And every jubilee, they believed and they saw evidence of God's magnificent power and mercy at work in ways that were undeniable. And so when Jesus is quoting Isaiah, who is speaking on behalf of God, that this is the year of the Lord's favor, Jesus is saying to them, this is the year when everything about you that's been captive is released. Where every debt that you have has been forgiven. Where everything is made right in the reign of God. That's uh, what God seeks to do. And so that's what Jesus is saying. Now, what's interesting to me uh, this is just free. I don't know that it matters in the sermon. But I told you that in the beginning, Jesus weaved together two particular parts of what we know as the book of Isaiah. Uh, when he gets to Isaiah 61, uh, Jesus doesn't read the whole thing. He stops just before this line that God said through the prophet Isaiah. 
uh, I also came to declare the day of vengeance of the Lord. But Jesus doesn't talk about vengeance in this text. He stops right before he gets there. It's as if that's not part of his plan in this moment. It's as if what he's trying to do is he's trying to talk about what God desires, what God's reign looks like in the world today and what God desires for the people of the world today. And so then Jesus just stops abruptly in the text. He rolls up that scroll. He hands it back to the attendant. And then he sits down and he said, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And although we don't read the rest of the passage in Luke today, we're going to focus on that next week. Take my word for it. The people are absolutely amazed at what Jesus is doing here. They, they see his, his words and His deeds, his, his actions here to be graceful. Everybody fell in love with Jesus when they heard that kind of good news that He was offering. If they were captive, there was going to be freedom in the reign of God. If they were uh, sick or infirm, there was going to be healing and restoration and recovery in this time of God. If they were poor, they were going to have enough in this reign of God. And they were so happy. And I suspect that some of us here this morning would like to be able to claim that same good news for ourselves. If you're struggling to make ends meet, if you don't know how you're going to make the next payment on your home or your car or even put food on your table, you would love to believe that this word about how when God's reign comes to the earth that that the poor uh, will be provided for. You'd love to hear that. That would be great news. And if you've ever been held captive to anything, whether it be to an addiction or to some circumstance in your life that you just can't seem to get beyond, it would be such good news for you and for me if we could truly believe that we're going to be set free from that captivity. And if you've ever been oppressed because of something uh, that wasn't your fault or that you had nothing to do with, uh, um, if you've ever known such oppression it would be good news to think that when the reign of God comes upon the earth, that it would be leveled, that there would be justice, that we would be freed from all of that oppression. And so when Jesus says, today the Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, what we believe Jesus meant is that today, in this very moment, I'm here to bring about the kingdom of God's reign. This is what it looks like. The reign of God is when there are no poor, when there are no people who are captive, when there are no people who are oppressed, and when their bodies aren't failing them. And that would be really, really good news if any of those things are happening to us, if we could believe that that's what Jesus came to do. But to all of us in need, Jesus comes saying, I'm ushering in the reign of God. It begins today. It is present today. And Jesus wants to remind us of God's great love for each one of us. Now, isn't that good news? Well, it is until it isn't. 
And the reality is, is that Jesus, this passage in Luke, doesn't end where we ended it today. And we're going to pick up in the second half of this passage next week. But we ended today with everybody hearing Jesus reading this from Isaiah. And with Jesus saying that today the Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And everybody's happy. And everybody's amazed. And everybody thinks that Jesus is the most gracious person in the whole wide world. But the same people who felt like Jesus was wonderful and lovely and gracious and kind and awesome today reject Him in the rest of the Scripture that we read about next week. The same people who received so eagerly the good news that Jesus shared. The rest of the sermon doesn't sit well with them. And that's the title of next week's sermon. Some sermons don't sit well. And so next week, we're going to pick up with that. But for today, I really do want you to hear that Jesus did come seeking to bring good news. Jesus did come seeking to usher in the reign of God. Jesus did come to give us hope. But there's a twist. And we'll get to that next Sunday.